Welcome to Twist, This Week in Sustainability, a podcast about sustainability of consumer products from beginning to end. This week, we'll be talking about clothing, the types of materials that go into them, greener fabrics and dyes, laundering, and end fate. I'd like to welcome my co-host, Jamie Ferguson. Good evening, Felicia. How are you this evening? I'm good. Um, so this is the first episode of Twist. And the idea is that we're going to be having conversation about the sustainability of various consumer products from the perspective of a couple of chemists, green chemists. And so my name is Felicia Etzcorn. I'm a professor of chemistry at Virginia Tech. And I've been teaching green chemistry for 12 years now. And I wrote a textbook called Green Chemistry Principles and Case Studies. So I'm in Blacksburg, Virginia, and it's sunny and 70 degrees outside. Beautiful day. I'm Jamie Ferguson. I am in Emory, Virginia, which is about two hours down the road from Felicia on the interstate. And I haven't checked the temperature here, but I would say that's probably about right. This afternoon was uh, probably one of our last good, you know, grill yourself out in the lawn days um, of the of the year. So I've been enjoying it on my back porch. Um, I'm from Alabama. I'm originally from North Alabama and uh, did uh, my undergrad in Davidson, North Carolina at Davidson College uh, in chemistry and uh, got fascinated by ionic liquids. And anyway, they're fascinating materials. Uh, I went ahead and got a PhD in them in uh, Queen's University of Belfast uh, in Northern Ireland with Ken Seddon. And uh, well, I did a postdoc at the University of Ottawa in palladium catalyzed carbonylation chemistry. And um, I have been for the last six years here in Emory, Virginia at Emory and Henry College. And I teach mostly organic chemistry and some biochemistry and some gen chem. And uh, I'm getting to teach green chemistry for the first time this year. Uh, so I've, Great. I've had a good time teaching from Felicia's book. <laughs> okay, so um, I neglected to give my my uh, academic history. I did my undergraduate work at what is now called Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, um, and had a great time there. Springfield is still in my heart. Um, and then I went to work as a radio chemist at Midwest Research Institute in Kansas City for four years and synthesized radio labeled carcinogens and toxins for the NIH for cancer research and for the National Center for Toxicological Research in Arkansas. So I was working with toxins, but for the purpose of eliminating them to finding out whether they were toxic or not. Um, then I went on to do my PhD at Berkeley with Paul Bartlett in biological chemistry. And from there to Harvard Medical School for a postdoc with Chris Walsh um, for two years. And 
I've been at Virginia Tech for 20 years. So um, let's just get started. Today we want to talk about clothing. And so there's a lot of sustainability issues with clothing, not just the materials they're made from, but what happens to them after we use them, the energy required, um, the chemicals that go into making dyes. There's, there's all kinds of issues. So we wanted to talk about renewable, you know, sort of na natural fabrics and their advantages. So cotton, wool, silk, linen, hemp, leather. Um, cotton, if it's conventionally grown, is one of the biggest uses of pesticides. So even buying clothing that's made from cotton is a bit of a minefield. <laughs> you, could, you could end up with something that used a ton of pesticides um, unless you're buying organic cotton, which is, can be pricey. Um, and then the dyes that go into it can be very benign, like they could be made to be biologically friendly, biodegradable, um, or they could have heavy metals in them like cadmium and some nasty things that, you know, we don't think about, but they could be part of the dyes that are in our cotton. So, and Jamie, just jump in here any, anytime you want. Um, so, so wool is a, um, oh, cotton, by the way, chemically, cotton is a, it's a, a polysaccharide, which means it's a, a polymer made of sugars. And um, those sugars are linked, linked together like beads on a string. So that's what a polymer is. And we'll probably talk a lot about polymers. Um, so cotton's a natural polymer. And I think it's a fairly homogeneous polymer, polysaccharide. It's mostly cellulose. Is, is cotton cellulose mostly? Yeah. So cellulose is a big deal in green chemistry because that's what wood is. And it's, it's a, a wonderful biological material. Um, I love cotton clothes. So the advantages are that it's, they're also biode biodegradable when you get rid of them. Um, they do last for a long time, at least in my hands. And part of that comes, I don't use a dryer. So, <laughs> so Jamie and I had a good conversation about dryers. Well, that's one of the problems. If you're, if you're comparing cotton and polyester, for example, um, polyester, some people would say that it's greener because it dries faster in the dryer. And so but, can you, can you sort of explain to people why it dries faster? Ah, that's a good, good idea. So, so cotton has all these OH groups, like similar to water. So water is H2O. I think most people have thought about that. And 
um, polysaccharides have all these free OH groups that are on the surface of it, and they can form what's called hydrogen bonds to water and absorb water deep into their cellular structure, you know, the molecular structure of the polymer. So cotton really hangs on to water. If you've ever been dumped in a river with a cotton shirt on, uh, I've done it, um, you know that it gets really heavy and soggy and it's, it takes a long time to dry um, because you've got to break all those hydrogen bonds to the water to, to dry it. Whereas, so I would explain it like start with, um, you know, with everybody knows that, that ethanol and water mix very well and that you can make all kinds of, you know, uh, varying concentrations of ethanol and water. And those of you who don't know what ethanol is, it's the, you know, it's the, uh, it's the active component of, uh, of your liquors and your beer. And so, you know, that, um, that those things mix with water just fine at all proportions. Uh, and and uh, if you took something like butter or vegetable oil and water, they don't mix. Um, and so the 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 chemical structure of cellulose has a bunch of alcohol little structure pieces to it. And we know that alcohol is uh, is you know what we call drinking alcohol as well. So those. So it mixes well with water, it sticks well to water, whereas oily things don't stick well to water. And if you look at the, the chemical structure of a polyester-based material, it looks more oily. Um, so it's less and, polar. Right, and it's derived from petroleum, which is oil. You know, when, when the public thinks about oil, um, petroleum oil, they think they know what that means that it's it's greasy and yeah. and oil and water don't mix everybody understands that pretty much um so polyester doesn't latch on to water as well as cotton and so it's faster to dry now what are the disadvantages of polyester many there are many <laughs> um so it's it it starts most polyesters are fossil fuel based uh, and they so when, when we talk about different different polymers we'll say poly and then we'll say some name afterwards and polyester says that uh, that the the linkage between all the little building blocks of that material is an ester linkage now an ester type of chemical linkage can be broken but it is kind of kind of uh hard to break it it's, takes it's harsh a pretty conditions strong bond yeah to break it down um yeah, it's not use, as you gotta use base you gotta use what we used to refer to as alkali um strong acid strong base so some sort of real you know uh, real harsh chemical conditions and when we talk about harsh chemical conditions i don't know about you but i think of it as you know strong acid strong base uh, or strong oxidant. We don't usually do things with strong reducing agents, I'd say, uh, unless we're unless we're trying to degrade something by zapping it with electricity. Okay. Ele electrodegradation. But but you know everybody knows bleach. That's 
that's not the same thing as you know that's not the same hazard as your car battery which is the strong acid which is not this not exactly the same uh, hazard as your liquid plumber you know drain pipe stuff but those are three things in your life you can think of that those are harsh chemicals you wouldn't want to put them on your skin yeah so 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 we can degrade polyester clothing with you know your car your car battery or or your liquid plumber um and some temperature (laughs) uh we couldn't that wouldn't work very well for something like polypropylene um but it does work for it. Does, it does work. So polyethylene, polypropylene, uh, polystyrene, those types of things doesn't work so well. But okay, so we get back to yes, you can chemically break down a polyester material, but not very efficiently, and nobody bothers to do it because it's so energy inefficient. Well, so so there was um, a case study a while back where DuPont had set up a plant to recycle polyethylene terephthalate. So that that's what we're talking, when we talk about polyester, it turns out most clothing is polyethylene terephthalate, which is PET, P-E-T. And it's the number one symbol, recycling symbol on containers and bottles, water bottles, soda bottles. Um, Turns out that PET is used, the use of PET is 60% in clothing and 30% in containers or bottles. And it's the third highest production polymer behind polyethylene and polypropylene. So um, a lot of of PET gets made um, in the world. And like, Jamie was saying it's it's petroleum based so both the it's actually two different beads on a string two different what we call monomers so um, those both of those monomers are derived from um, petroleum typically although did you hear about the coke um, coca-cola commissioned had a contest uh no, I haven't heard that. So yeah. it, it it is it PET? It's just it's produced? polyethylene terephthalate, okay. but then the the starting materials, the the you know feedstocks for for both monomers come from biological sources, which mm. you know that's sort of half. <laughs> it's a glass half full. So the other side of the coin is that it's still not biodegradable although a japanese group um, discovered a bacteria that could degrade pet into the monomers and so that's a potential way you could recycle it Um, you could have the bacteria or the bacterial enzymes degrade it Um, we haven't talked about enzymes yet but Enzymes are little molecular machines that um, d- actually, in, in all living things, they do the chemistry. They catalyze the reactions of the chemistry in all living things. So enzymes are biological catalysts. So this enzyme was discovered by a group from Japan. The PI is 
Oda, K-O-D-A, O-D-A, and the first author is Yoshida, and it was published in Science in 2016. Um, really great paper. And so they, they discovered this enzyme that they could isolate from the bacterium and break down PET. So that was a, a really cool advance. Um, that PET, the breakdown, so the, the part of the problem with, um, we, we've touched on this already, with clothing anyway, um, is that there's dyes and all kinds of sizing agents and things to make the dye sit better in the cloth. And so when you're thinking about recycling polyester, um, breaking it down into the monomer seems like a pretty good choice because you can then more readily separate the, the monomers, the small pieces, and purify them from the rest of the junk, the dyes and the sizing agents and dirt and oil and grime and stains and whatever um, you've got in that cloth. So if you break it down to the actual monomers and then purify those monomers, then you can resynthesize, remake what they call virgin pet, virgin polyester. Um, so that is a possibility. But and I wasn't really that surprised when I read that they discovered a, you know, some microbe that works particularly well with PETACE because, I mean, with, with PET degradation, because if you look at all of the, uh, you know, we could, we could kind of list off the top polymers in use in our lives that, you know, end up in our trash and oceans and stuff. If we just like listed a hit parade of them, they're all names that you, that you know. And polyesters are probably the low-hanging fruit. We should be able to figure out how to do that. And that bond, that ester bond, is one that is ubiquitous in chemistry, in biochemistry, in right, our cells. In and yeah. so everybody has probably um, noticed on, on, uh, on laundry detergent, if you're in the UK, it's called bio detergent, um, uh, that some laundry detergents contain enzymes to help break down the fats uh, in, in your laundry machine. But some people also have allergic reactions to certain laundry detergent. Oh. And that is, that is a common reason is um, they're, they're having some sort of reaction to either the to enzyme or the enzyme. some low level, you know, so those, leftover. Those enzymes are lipases. They, are also, they also put proteases in laundry detergent. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, there are natural enzymes that can break um, ester bonds, but what happens is you dump the pet into the environment and eventually some bacterium evolves to break it down. I mean, this has happened with petroleum itself, like, you know, the Gulf, Gulf of Mexico has bacteria that break down petroleum which is kind of astonishing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it, it's still a problem because i mean yeah. uh that 
so down here in Emory, we're, we're close to Eastman Chemical Company, and they make a lot of polyester plastic and are, uh, you know, uh, active in councils to talk about how to recycle plastic and try to uh, try to solve this problem. And they and they they are I, I know that they have an ongoing research arm uh, devoted to methanolysis of of PET. And so this is uh, breaking that ester bond with methanol, which some people might know of as uh, race car fuel. Other people might know it if they've tried wood to make alcohol. biodiesel, wood alcohol. It was one, you know, it's one of the original, uh, it's one of the original chemical products of the Eastman Chemical Company since its very early foundings, and and pretty toxic. But but uh, if if they had by now uh, cracked that nut efficiently, we would know about it. Um, Which one? the the efficient commercial scale industrial scale process of oh, methanolysis so, of oh. of polyesters. So DuPont DuPont did that, and they actually set up a a plant. This was at one of the early um, presidential green chemistry challenge awards. So DuPont set up a plant on a pilot scale. I think it was something like. 2000 kilogram scale and that's exactly what they were doing was breaking it down into monomers distilling out the methyl ester we we won't go into that um but distilling out the two monomers um and then resynthesizing virgin pet and then what happened they were ready to go commercial with it and this was 2002 or something like that. Price of oil went bottomed out and they couldn't compete. And so that's part of the problem is the price of oil is too low. So it's too easy to make virgin pet from petroleum. So that's, mm. that's a huge issue with green chemistry is you know, it should be cheaper, but if we're supporting, you know, we can get a little political here. If we're supporting petroleum through subs, you know, oil well, company subsidies and wars, um, then we're going to have trouble competing with oil. Yeah, and and another thing that I hadn't really thought about um, until until I read a book by Kate O'Neill called Waste that came out in 2019 is that, you know, a big problem with using uh, recycled scrap of all kinds is that, uh, is that the global scrap markets uh, are completely unregulated and there's no futures market for them. And so the the price swings, you know, if you're going to make plastic or clothes and you want to know what the price of your input feedstock material is, uh, you know, the, the price, I think, of scrap metal, uh, let me see if I can find it. I, in the 2008 financial crisis, the price of scrap metal dropped something like 80%. 
practically overnight. And so if you are using that as a feedstock, um, if you're trying to sell scrap metal, you know, that's just devastating if you're trying to do it on a large scale. Right. So, so the, the economics of green chemistry can be really challenging. So um, I wanted to move on to the wood-based products. So rayon is a very old and very dirty process for converting cellulose into um, you know, fibers that they can use to weave into clothing. And I, I actually really like rayon because it sort of likes silk, but um, it's not as fragile, it's not as expensive, and it is biodegradable. The unfortunate part of rayon is that the process that they used to use to make it, and the, I mean, they still, rayon itself is made by what's called the viscose process. So sometimes you'll see on a foreign, like a European label, it'll say viscose, and that's the same thing as rayon. Um, but they use a really, they, it, it undergoes like three chemical steps. They treat it with a strong base and a, a thioxanthate <laughs> um, so that it breaks up the interstrand hydrogen bonds that make cellulose so strong. Um, and such a linear fiber. So they break up the intermolecular forces and, and then they can, it's, it's cellulose is much more malleable at that point and they can, you know, spin it into fibers and make it smoother. When you say malleable, then, can you explain that? And, and uh, uh, no, I, I I'm just thinking in terms of they they can manipulate it. They can spin it, you know, into fibers. They can um, make it into thin films. They can do different things with it. Um, so they can manipulate it, I guess, is the best way. Um, the problem is then after they break these fibers apart, these molecular scale fibers apart with this xanthate, then they have to remove the xanthate and they have to use, I think, so they first treat it with sodium hydroxide and then with carbon disulfide, which is a nasty toxic chemical in itself. So sodium hydroxide is base, that's a strong base. That's your liquid plumber. That's your liquid plumber. And then sulfuric acid is battery acid. And that's what they have to use to take it off. So they don't even allow um, viscose to be made in the United States anymore, but it's still made in a number of other countries. And we still import viscose because I see rayon clothing or part rayon clothing on, this, on the racks. Um, still out there. But what was invented then was something called Tencel. And 
Tencel is also a cellulose polymer. Um, and it's made by a different process. So they don't actually have to, you know, chemically modify the cellulose to break it up. They break it up using instead um, a, a non-toxic radical amine solvent called, um, well, they just say it's a radical amine. I thought it was tempo, but it, it's probably proprietary. They don't tell you which one it is. Radicals are, um, have a free electron. So that's usually a reactive species. Um, but in this case, they, it just serves as a solvent. And then they recycle this solvent in a closed loop process in Australia by lensing of, oh, sorry, not Australia, Austria, lensing of Austria to make the brand name fiber cell Tencel. Um, and so it's, it's a much, much greener process. There's, there's no, you know, this, this radical amine oxide may be, um, not the best solvent in the world, but if they're recycling it in a closed loop process, I consider that a pretty, pretty decent way of doing things. So then you've, you, you're recovering essentially just the same thing as you put in. You've got cellulose, you put it in to the process and you get out cellulose that doesn't have any you know, chemical modification of it. I mean, except for the dyes and so on. But um, it's just as biodegradable as cotton or... Yeah. Um, with this one, I wonder, because I haven't looked into it, um, I wonder what weight percent they can get cellulose dissolved and what the conditions are um yeah, what what sort of temperatures well because uh, i can well you know so this this idea that I, I think we need to you know kind of lay out cellulose for the same reason that it's hard to dry um these these alcohol functional groups it's also hard to pull the fibers apart from itself to get it dissolved and right um and cellulose beyond just clothing, cellulose is uh, oh, it's the world's uh, most high volume biomass material. It's what planet Earth is best at making on a per kilogram scale Think made out of trees, carbon. Trees, grasses, plants. And so every, all, you know, it's like not just clothing, but all things in our lives that we make out of fossil fuel and that's carbon-based and think about anything that's plastic um, could potentially be made out of something related to a living polymer like or, or a polymer made by a living thing and what we have the most of is cellulose so when we talk about how to do stuff chemically with cellulose that's another reason um, and so this idea of being able to dissolve it well why do you want to be able to dissolve something anyway. 
and I think we should say to be able to chemically transform it into something well, useful. In this, in this case, though, they're not doing a chemical transformation. They're just, just they're just doing right. a physical transformation. They're right. making it easier to handle uh, and get the properties they want, which is a silkier or smoother fiber than cotton. So they might not be totally dissolving it after all. They might just be treating it treating it I don't then know. physically yeah they're not, working it I or something think they're dissolving it completely you know there's mm -hmm. another um what's his name galen i remember his name is galen who who came up with a process to dissolve cellulose in um sups s-u-p-p-e-s at the university of missouri in columbia and he came up with a process to dissolve cellulose in ionic liquids using microwaves. I think they were using BMIM. So yeah, microwaves. So, so the group that came up with the process of dissolving cellulose in ionic liquids that first, that first demonstrated it, that was uh, Robin Rogers group in uh, at the University of Alabama back in 2000, about 2000. It was yeah. 2001 or two that Robin Rogers came to my senior chemistry seminar, or maybe it was junior chemistry seminar, uh, gave a lecture. And that was, after that, I was thinking about going to grad school at Ionic Liquids, which I did, um, because he laid it out. He was like, you know, the, the something like over 50% of all the carbon is in cellulose and, and yeah, uh, we, we'd love there's to a, be able to there's do a stuff lot of it. it. We want to be able to do stuff with it. And one thing that chemists need to be able to do to be able to do a bunch of fancy stuff with some feedstock is to be able to dissolve it. And so this issue of dis being able to, dis to dissolve cellulose um, is kind of a, a linchpin issue for uh, being able to use this renewable resource more widely to make stuff yeah the chemical industry being able to make stuff and um and so uh so ionically so this uh, the subs group they, they probably took this existing technology and then combined it with the fact that ionic liquids are also really good energy sponges for microwave energy they they are really oh. good at absorbing microwave cool. uh microwave wavelengths um yeah. and uh and so but but yeah so they can they can dissolve like up to high 20s percent weight percent uh, ionic liquids uh emum acetate is the name of the one that is in high it, it does the best job uh and is in most use and in fact there is a company right up the road called mari signum that is doing the same thing with chitin, which is made out of shrimp shells. Yep, insect cell, insect. Um, so chitin is another biopolymer like cellulose is, and you can make all kinds of fibers from it as well. So, um, yeah, I should get that from you. So, so let's, um, I'd like to move on from wood-based products now. Um, we've talked a little bit about polyester. Um, let's, let's talk about drying cotton again. 
cotton versus polyester. Cotton's great, but you got to use clotheslines, people. Um, so, so Jamie told me a funny story about Portugal. <laughs> I mean, yes. It, I, I don't think this is in all of Portugal, but it was in the neighborhood where I was, uh, where I was staying uh, in Oirish, which is up the coast from Lisboa. Lisbon, Portugal, um, the, the neighborhood must have thought that it was looked trashy to have your, have your laundry out uh, on the balconies of the apartment buildings. And so it was against neighborhood rules to have your laundry out uh, drying on your ba balcony, even though the weather of Portugal is kind of like the weather of Southern California. It's, it's ideal. hot and sunny. Yeah, ideal it's ideal for drying clothes. <laughs> yeah. But there are a lot of neighborhoods in the United States, you know, especially upper class neighborhoods where it's not considered proper to dry your clothes like clothes on a line. Um, but if you want to be sustainable, do it. That's one the biggest use of energy in a household is your dryer, clothes dryer. Um, you can make a lot of other things, you know, more energy efficient. But if you've got to heat, heat up the water that's latched on tight to cotton, you know, your, your blue jeans, then it's going to take a lot of energy to evaporate that water. And in addition, it's hard on your clothes. So this is one of the things I wanted to talk about. When, when I was growing up, my mom was a huge proponent of buying high-quality clothes that would last a long time and just wearing things until they wear out. They used to patch things, you know? It's like... We don't even try to mend anymore. It's just, oh, it's got a hole in it. Throw it out. So, I think sewing should be, you know, a, a, a class in high school or up. something. A clothing product that drives me nuts that I feel like we should be able to figure out is shoes. Mm. Shoes are one of those things that you, that they get a bunch of physical wear. And so you need to, for your own foot health, you know, uh, you need to change your shoes every so often. But I could probably make my tennis shoes go a good while longer if they didn't wear out on the back heel so much. Um, the, the fabric there tends to wear down and it'll wear to the plastic, you know, structure insert. And then you can't do anything with them. And if you could patch a shoe, if they could figure out. Yeah. Um, in the, the book Cradle to Cradle by um, Bill McDonough and um, Brongart, Michael Brongart, um, they talk about two waste streams, the biological waste stream and the industrial waste stream. The biological is biodegradable and non-toxic and it should be stuff that you can just leave on the ground to rot and you know decompose and it goes back into making a tree 
and then you use the tree again in, in the biological cycle. Um, the industrial cycle should be pure, purely chemicals that are not biodegradable. And that's, that's one of the things about clothes that's always bothered me is like, there's, you know, 50-50 polyester cotton. I, you know, I, I sort of refuse to buy t-shirts made from 50-50. Um, I do have one polyester. <laughs> Jamie's looking at her tag. 100% cotton. 100%. Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah, mine are all, I, you know, I'm, I'm a avid clothing label reader and I try, but you know, it's hard to find pants now that don't have 1% spandex in them. Um, unless you just buy blue jeans. So maybe I should just stick with blue jeans, although they're very wasteful in the, the way they manufacture them and dye them. And, and, and what's really bad, oh, what's really bad is they, um, the, the stonewashed jeans. There's a, there's a documentary called Blue River. Have you ever uh, seen yeah. it? Yeah, no, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. So, so, you know, the, the $20 blue jean, if you, if you own a pair of $20 blue jeans and you own them because you didn't get, not, not because you bought them at, you know, the, at Goodwill, um, think about, think about buying your next $20 pair of blue jeans. Cause it's not, that, that's not what they should cost for, for the, yeah, why, the why intensity are, of why are the, they so cheap. I think they're cheap because of, the reason that everything is artificially cheap that is based on petrochemicals because the shippers get a cut and the retailers get a cut and it's all so much less expensive than than you know taking care the of the environment practically slave labor you know really cheap labor wherever it's being made with low regulations and the cheapness of the of the fossil fuel inputs um yeah so, so uh, going back to being able to dissolve cellulose, that the the dye, the indigo dye, that is the the color of blue jeans. Is they that have synthetic to, now? That dye? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure the source of the dye, but I know um, that it 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 has to go through a. Uh, a process of it's Na2S2O4. What is that? Sodium sulfate. Uh, it's not sulfate. Oh, it's S2O4. Sulfite. Hydro or sulfide That's or a reducing sodium agent. sulfide. So sodium sulfide and sodium sulfide. Indigo yeah. is treated with those two, uh, and uh, to to generate an alkoxide. Uh, to, to turn that indigo dye into something that's a more aggressive chemical that will that will chemically bond into the cellulose, wow. um, and the and the treatment of the dye to do that, uh, and it's yeah it's it's a it's a very high volume process in the world that ends up all the all that reducing agent so much of it ends up in the effluent. Uh, yeah. 
that's coming out of the plant. And it's sort of it's, like the rayon process, the viscose process, where there's sucks up all the oxygen chemicals. in the in the in the water that comes oh, out. Of course. And the chemical oxygen demand of the water is very great. And so, you know, it's it creates big kill. Wipes out the Children. wildlife, the right. fish. Fish and kills. on top of on top of that, then if you're wanting, yeah, Blue River is a movie that that talks a lot about um, the about the bleaching process, and they've got the the uh, clothing designers that first popularized the acid washed look yep. to the, the, the pre faded look to the blue jeans, and that. Also, you're wearing out the cloth when you do that. Too. You're wearing out the cloth, and and whoever is uh, whoever is getting your jeans to have that look are probably just exposing themselves, like with a little squirt bottle of bleach, uh, a bleach material, potassium permanganate. What's in the movie? Um, oh. But just just spraying it onto the jeans in some factory setting you know with uh, whatever ppe they don't have and uh and then washing it out so <laughs> yeah oh boy so all these additives this is the kind of pre-treatment of clothing that we gotta think about you know by being able to dissolve our clothing polymers yeah. and make our colored clothes in a smarter way yeah, like dissolving I mean, them in ionic liquids or in this yeah, uh, in and, this radical. And not being so concerned about fading and you know, like we need to make it cool again to have colors that aren't as intense and faded. Um, so let's see. While we're talking about washing clothes, um, I want to point out microplastic pollution. So that's another problem when you're you're using petroleum-based um, clothing, polyester mainly, but also acrylic. Um, there's there's nylon. There's several different polymers that are petroleum-based clothing. Um, so I looked up what washing machines put out. An average washing load of six, kilogra six kilograms could release an estimated 137,951 fibers from polyester cotton blend fabric, 496,030 fibers from polyester, and 728,789 from acrylic. Those fibers add to the general microplastics pollution. And this is from Wikipedia, and the reference is to a paper by Knapper and Thompson in the Marine Pollution Bulletin, um, published in 2016. And so there's these microfibers that every washing machine, every load, is making millions of these microplastic. So there was another um, there was another study that was much publicized. I read about it in CNE News, but I'm seeing there is a 
CNN article about it last summer in June 2019, uh, that the average person, I guess this is based in uh, the US, I'm not exactly sure, ingests an average of uh, a credit card worth of microplastics per week, five grams worth of microplastics oh. per week, and that the main source of that is uh, our tap water. Uh, Probably clothing, washing it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and that microplastics have been, so, yeah, let me see. This, this study was- Is it related was, to cancers? Uh, or do they not make that jump? It was an analysis for World Wildlife Fund by Balberg and the University of Newcastle in Australia. So I guess this is globally. They're assuming that is an average. Um, mm -hmm. What was the question? Um, I forgot. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, microplastics have been found in the soils of uh, of wildlife refuges all over the states and. Uh, in the Arctic, and so they really are pervasive. But it does it. It gets it clogs up your organs, like your digestive system, organs like gallbladder and liver, and it it can be extremely difficult to remove from your system. So yeah, and this is the thing is we just don't we're we're at the very you know early days of really understanding what it will mean for organisms you know to have this exposure because they're starting to look at turtles and you know sea mammals um really suffer which mm -hmm. you know it may be that we're also suffering and we're just not and when you draw a cause and effect between something that you're calling microplastics and an effect uh what are those microplastics? So, that, that, you know, for toxicity studies, so um, complicated. It's not just the plastic themselves, but it's also, you know, for instance, those plastics will concentrate other uh, organic compounds in them. Um, and, well, and, and they start off with dyes and modifiers that we've been talking about all this time so yeah they absorb toxins from the environment potentially as well mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. very complicated and we just don't know yet what that's going to do um so uh, we're getting close to our time here i wanted to talk about um recycling clothing because i wanted to point out a lot of people don't think about this but it turns out that um, the clothes that you might take to Goodwill or YMCA, any of these clothing centers, um, they, there are companies that actually recycle the clothing. And the way it's done is um, the first thing they do is turn it into um, three different streams, the clothing that can be resold, rag clothing that's an often used for industrial rags that they um, can just use as rags immediately, and then um, the cloth that's actually recycled. And so for natural textiles, 
they're sorted by color and material. And then um, if they sort segregate the colors, the need for redyeing can be eliminated. Um, and that decreases the need, you know, decreases the amount of pollution and energy. And then the clothing is torn up into sloppy fibers, they call this, and combined with other chosen fibers. And um, it depends on the plant, what end use they're planning. Um, and then once it's cleaned and spun, the fibers can be compressed for use in mattress production or furniture padding, panel linings, loudspeaker cones, and car insulation. And so I would term this downcycling. Because mm -hmm. So do you want to explain what downcycling means? Yeah, I think we'll take a minute for that. Um, re true recycling is like we were talking about with breaking up pet into the monomers and making virgin pet from that. That's true recycling because you're reusing it to make the same quality, the same level of product as you made um, originally. And so true recycling of clothing would be you're making clothing from it. And there's some of that. I have some recycled fiber socks um, that are wonderfully brightly multicolored. Um, but when you're making something like park benches out of water bottles that have been recycled, those park benches eventually end up in a landfill. So you're downcycling you're eventually you're spiraling down and you're going to send it into the landfill. You're not taking park benches and turning that into new park benches either. They, I always think of the, um, the, the shopping bags that say made out of, you know, 90% recycled bottles or, or whatnot. Yeah. You know, you think about a water bottle, it's got some hardness to it. It's got, you know, some impact resistance, uh, you know, it, it, it is tough. And right. then you think about the impact resistance of your shopping bag and, you know, it's a lot flimsier. It can still, they can still weave it together and, and do some things with it, but you can't make that tough material out of that soft material. And that is due to the breakdown of the yeah the, yeah the chemical the, degradation of it uh, by environmental factors like the sun uv light can degrade polymers um, or people have seen the you know the backing for carpet that perhaps is made out of um out of tires although i don't know that we would make it out of tires today uh i think they given do all the I think they do wash the tires and they, for a while there, they were even using it for playground. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know if they're still doing that today, but, but yeah, thinking of those, thinking of those tire shreds and then versus an intact tire that's holding up an 18 wheeler, you know, one of those is built for a lot more load bearing than another. Um, and you can't go in the other direction. Yeah, so um, the recycling process is a little bit different for polyester-based materials and 
they first thing they do is remove the zippers and buttons and then cut it up into smaller pieces and then they shred the small fat fabric pieces and then make shape them into pellets that they can then use for other things but again this is sort of a mixture not a pure polymer anymore and it's going to have decreased physical strength and um, ability to use in the same way as they did before because it's loaded with plastics and dyes and all kinds of other things i just finally so, found that that uh found that statistic i was looking for yeah 2008 global financial crisis on scrap markets in the u.s and china prices of primary metals plunged and scrap prices even further as much as 80 percent yeah so yeah. this is a big problem in recycling well. things. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's funny how numbers like that stick in your head. That's great. It's, it's shocking. Uh, another, another. I, wanted, um, I want you to talk about the leather. Okay. I, I want to do one more factoid okay. about, about recycling clothes. Okay. Is um, when we give our clothes to Goodwill and I always, uh, you know, send mine to Goodwill and I also like to shop at Goodwill, but um yeah. So something to think about, global clothing production doubled in terms of units between 2000 and 2015. Um, so this idea of fast fashion. And so where do all these clothes end up? A lot of these clothes end up in African countries. And in, this, in Kate O'Neill's Waste book, she talks about this with, uh, with food aid and with, and with clothing aid. Um, it might be with other, uh, other recycled materials as well, but the donation in uh, mass of large amounts of you know our our cast off clothing uh, that that threatens domestic tech textiles and clothing industries in Africa right. to the point where um, they've started some African countries have started refusing shipment they've started banning secondhand clothing because there's it, it depresses the the demand uh, and then there's no domestic market uh, for clothing manufacturers and clothing manufacturer is one of those not too high tech industries that, you know, countries sure. could conceivably do on their own. Um, same yeah, thing with, so, with growing so food. The solution for that is regulatory, I think. And I think we need to start holding the manufacturers responsible for taking the clothing back. Patagonia started doing this a while ago. Um, and Pat, yeah, they'll take it back and remanufacture it into clothing again. So we just need to force other clothing manufacturers to do this. They they should have to take it back once it's once you're done with it. And so that that's a challenge, you know. Um, so that's that's one of the recommendations I have is that we should be holding the clothing manufacturers responsible for cradle to cradle care of the clothing and true recycling reuse. But I want to, I want you to talk about vegan leather and, and okay. the company you pointed out to me. So, um, so clothing uh how do clothing and you know your plastic tupperware relate to each other they're both made out of polymers uh and and uh so 
can we get our polymers made from stuff that is from living organisms, from renewable resources? Um, so vegetable oil is used in a lot of things. One of the things that we all know about is biodiesel. Uh, vegetable oil can also be used. So, so we think of petroleum. Petroleum is used for energy and it's used to make stuff. And just like petroleum is this carbon source used to, to either make energetic materials, energy storage, energy stored in molecules, or to make stuff, you can also do that with a high enough volume biological starting molecule, like vegetable oil. We can make biodiesel out of vegetable oil. We can also take vegetable oil and chemically transform it into uh, something that would be like the like the starting uh, molecules for a polymer. And so the starting molecules for this vegan leather, uh, and the, this is a, this technology is commercialized by natural fiber welding, who also do a bunch of cellulose stuff. So natural fiber welding, uh, you can look them up. Um, their, their vegan leather is based on epoxidized vegetable oil. What is epoxidized? So epoxidized, so everybody knows epoxy glue, and uh, epoxy glue is glue that, that sets really fast. Uh, so you go from a liquid to a goopy liquid, liquid or a flowing liquid to my fingers are stuck together. And, uh, and so we made a polymer. It's like, you know, making a plastic very fast. And so a chemical reaction took place between it being a liquid and it being this solid holding your fingers together. And that same chemical reaction is, is what this epoxidized vegetable oil is primed to do once you add uh, the other molecule, which is citric acid. And uh, citric acid is, um, uh, it's, it's in a lot of, it's in beverages. a lot of beverages. It's in orange juice. Uh, it's the taste of, kind of tastes like vitamin Citrus. C, I think. Citrus. Yeah. Citric yeah. acid, yeah. And, uh, but, but citric acid will, will form these ester bonds. Uh, and, and so it, are you sure it's not reacting with the central hydroxyl? Um, cause I would think that would be more nucleophilic than the acid. Let's pull it up. <laughs> because the epoxide is, I'm just going to go into a little chemical detail here. It's a three membered, three atoms in a ring. One of those atoms is oxygen and the other two are carbon. And because it's a three-membered ring, it's very strained. Um, carbon and oxygen don't like the angles that are required to make a three-membered ring. So it's very reactive. And that's why you make epoxy glues by reacting these epoxides with what I just said was a, a nucleophile with another atom from another molecule. And in this case, we're talking about citric acid. All right, I'm pulling it up here. Ah, and they show it, they show the chemistry. They do. Here's the patent. And you can see that we go from epoxidized vegetable oil. And so um, vegetable oil has units of unsaturation. They're, the difference in, 
in uh, your vegetable oil and your butter is one of them's a liquid and one of them uh, is a solid at room temperature. So the one that's liquid has these what we call units of unsaturation. Um, and uh, you can turn, those are carbon-carbon double bonds, and you can turn those into epoxide functional groups. And three-membered rings. I was these three-membered rings. And so you and so uh, citric acid has three acid functional groups on it. It's a two, four, six carbon molecule. It's got three carboxylic acid groups on it and one hydroxyl group. And so these carboxylic acid groups uh, act as nucleophiles and attack as a carboxylate. Uh, on the epoxide so that you and so uh, since you've got three acid functional groups in any one citric acid molecule you can have that citric that citric acid molecule linked to several chains of the right. vegetable what oil. What we call cross-linking. What we call cross-linking and and cross-linking uh, if you think of a rubber band versus the um, the sole of your shoe, the sole of your shoe is more cross-linked than a rubber band, and that's why it's stiffer. Uh, it doesn't have as much give to it when you pull it or push it. And if you think about your shoe uh, sole compared to the stuff that the, that your tire is made out of, your tire is stiffer again because it is more cross-linked. Um, so if you think of a bunch of strands, just in parallel, a bunch of strands, uh, and then uh, stapling those strands together at different places. That's Isn't that how they it. do give you a perm in yeah. your hair? Yes. They cross-link your hair. <laughs> they cross-link your hair, yeah, with thiol molecules. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting. It looks to me like they must run this at pretty basic pH in order to get the carboxylates to react with the epoxides. They probably do. I I uh, I didn't go that far to see what their conditions yeah, were. But but what's interesting to me about this chemistry is um, if you look at so a couple things interesting. One is epoxidized vegetable oil is also the base for. Um, for soy-based bioplastics. Like paint. Sherwin-Williams won a Presidential Green Chemistry Challenge Award for that. Mm -hmm. Paint is a plastic, by the way. So, so I think we'll that, talk I, about that later. I, I, think, I think epoxidized vegetable oil is being seen as a, as a useful starting material to multiple uh, yeah. end points in, so, in terms of chemical products. So have you seen the actual vegan leather product? Um, well, if you go to, I, I, I haven't seen it in person, but the photos on the website, and it's called Mirum, M-I-R-U-M is the name of this chemical product that natural fiber welding has rolled out. They need to uh, send us a sample. It's 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 really beautiful. Um, I I have I have sent them an email before, um, and I've tried to get my friend Steve, who's a fashion designer, to also 
uh, get samples from them before. I think they're covered up right now with getting uh, their their production processes underway. They if you go to their um, their press page, they are partnering with people like Porsche and uh, and Patagonia was an early investor. Um, so sure. Patagonia is going to have a bunch of stuff from them. Um, I might have to buy a pair of shoes made out of vegan leather. That would be pretty cool. But what another thing that I wanted to mention was to look at the chemical structure that they have here. Uh, and by the way, this is not the full story for their vegan leather. This is the polymer that sets. So just like when you, when you, put out some glue and then you have to wait for it to set to become solid. Mm -hmm. This starts as a, as a liquid mixing liquids together and they cast it over a, um, a woven backing. So it itself must not be, it, it must not have the, you know, the pull and push kind of strength of leather, but it has the hydrophobic and the, squishy properties of leather and it has that in a similar way to uh, to cork and I, I at this point I want to grab my cork wallet and show it to you show off because uh, I was in Portugal Stop for my PhD okay no. so I was in Portugal for my PhD because Portugal is the world's largest producer of cork and cork goes into a lot of things besides just wine corks. It also goes into the um, into flooring materials because it has that give to it, yeah. um, and it's really durable. Uh, you think of those little pieces that you put on the bottom of furniture. Those are made out of cork. They go into shoes. They go into cork goes into a lot of things, and it is um, you know a hardy, tough, oily, hydrophobic and also um, flexible, very flexible biopolymer. And if you look at the structure of the, um, of the main component of cork, subarin, that's, that's what subarin is, is it's a bunch of long chain hydrocarbon, uh, long chain saturated esters. Cool. Um, and so yeah, I, I just think nice it's funny stuff. how, yeah, it, it has a very leathery look to it, and it has held up for a for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and I just want to also say a word about leather. Um, the, what's the problem with leather? Well, we need to be moving away from a meat-based you know, diet more as our planet warms. I think most people are familiar with the concept that... Um, the production of meat is, you know, adds to global warming. Um, but the, the leather is a byproduct of that industry. And so that's, you know, needs to decrease. Um, I don't mind buying leather because there's tons of cows being slaughtered still. But as we move away from it, Maybe we need an alternative. Soy-based vegan leather is not a bad idea. Um, the other problem with leather is to make it 
flexible, we're not treating the animal hide with, um, you know, our urine that the Native Americans used to, you know, let the urine sit around until it turned into ammonia, and then they would treat the leather with that to soften it. Um, or they would use the enzymes from their saliva. Uh, we're not doing that. They actually treat it with chromate. Chromium is a really toxic heavy metal. And most leather, I think, still is treated with chromium. Um, I don't know which oxidation state, but in general, um, it'd be better not to use so much chromium. So that's another good thing about this vegan leather. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to wrap this up and maybe Jamie, do you want to, do you want to summarize our recommendations about clothing? Or uh, well, my recommendations about clothing would be to uh, always buy secondhand if you can stand it uh, for everyday use. There's no problem buying reused. Uh, and if you're gonna if you're gonna buy something new, then don't go for the brightest colors. Go for uh, all natural fabrics. Uh, so 100% cotton or 100% wool or 100% linen. Um, those things you know that at least uh wherever they do end up when you're done with the piece of clothing it will break back down into uh, uh materials that earth knows what to do with um so yeah minimize your 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 use of pe and i would i would clothing. Just add, can i just add for cotton um hang dry you know well, also, I, I was just going to say that choose organic cotton and, you know, make it high quality, spend a little more, and then make it last for many more years. Um, because growing cotton is still a heavily pesticide-laden industry. Okay. So, yeah. Um, biodegradable is good. Natural is good. Um, Hang drying is good and fashionable. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't care what they tell you. Uh, show off your, your clothesline for your neighbors. I might be the only one in this neighborhood who uses a clothesline. That's very sad. I can't. Ah, yeah. And don't forget to take your, you know, clothes that are, you don't, you just can't wear anymore. They don't fit you um, or they have too many holes to repair. Take turn them into the, masks. Turn them into, turn turn them into, into masks. dusting cloths. Well, and then, you know, when you're as old as I am, you got them piled up in the basement. So you have too many rags but take it to the goodwill because they will actually recycle even holy stained crappy old cloth. Um, and they, they can 
they can use it. They can make use of it. And there, there's an industry that's involved in recycling clothing. Um, I just, I sort of am opposed to polyester for clothing. What do you think? I just, I just think don't, don't buy it. <laughs> I, it, it, so I don't care what I buy. Uh, I don't care what it's made out of when I go to Goodwill to go shopping because right. I think it's, you know, whatever this is, it's already been made. I'm not demonstrating uh, a consumer demand for, I think, I, I think about this for organic produce and, sure. you know, everything all natural, Wh whether there's good evidence yet that this is going to be helpful for my health. I, as a consumer, am sending a signal every time I spend money. And if I can buy a book used or I can buy clothing used or anything else that, you know, that it makes sense to buy used, it, you know, yeah. So I don't mind buying poly, if it feels good, I, I'll buy whatever at, at Goodwill. Yeah. But if, uh, if it's, if it's I new have, clothing. I have a fitting problem being very tall and thin and, I can't find <laughs> clothes that fit at Goodwill very often, but I do oh. have a wonderful wool coat that a friend of mine, big find. See me, I, I, I'm more like average size. So I, I think that there's almost nothing that I need for the life of a, you know, middle-class professional, a professor. Don't, I don't have to get super dressed up. Uh, and there's nothing that I need that I have yeah. to buy new. Um, it's fun to buy some new go to conference clothes or something uh, every so often. And, and so I, but I do, then I, you know, mine, but mine are, are 20 years old now because I bought some, I bought some stuff along the way over the years, but I always buy really high quality stuff. And right. I, I, when I look when I shop, I look at the tag and I say, this is rayon. I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to buy 10 cell. Oh, nice dress. It's made from 10 cell. I don't feel as bad about it. Buying it. Yeah. New. Yeah. So yeah. And I've been wearing basically the same dressy clothes for weddings and funerals and such for, and conferences for many, many years. So, but tennis shoes have a problem. That is a problem. Tennis shoes have a are a problem as a consumer good. There's, but they shouldn't be. I mean, I by have, the time the shoe is worn out for the for purposes of wearing it and using it as a shoe, you have not used up most of the material in that in that shoe, and it's true. and it's also not oh. reusable to a new to a new consumer you know did you know that chaco will resole their shoes for pretty cheap so I, and i had them put what something they called like city soles made by vibram the last time two times i had um my chacos resold and those soles have not worn at all over like five years any last words? Mm. Think about it. Just don't overthink it.
think about everything. Don't overthink anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good words to live by. Okay, so this is Twist, and we're going to be signing off. Um, let's stop, stop recording. Fun.